Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness have come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of God. You can run, but you can't hide. Unless you think I'm talking about you alone, this is about a preacher. God says to the preacher, I'm preaching to me, to all of us, we can run, but we can't hide. This story is about a runaway preacher. It's the only prophet that we read about in the Bible who ever elected to run from God. But I'm going to tell you this about the grace of God. You can run, but you can't hide. He'll find you because he loves you. Extend your hand of grace to me, would you, and pray for me for a few seconds, and let me pray for you. Father, the worship has been wonderful and anointed and, and, and heart-wrenching, and even in a good way. The worship has been deep, and it's been giving us the opportunity to reflect upon ourselves and upon you, God. And we are still praying that Jesus be the center of it all. We are praying right now for this word to be where the pastor is not the center of it all, but Jesus is the center of it all. Thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you for moving us to Christmas. Thank you for everybody here. May this not be laborious or boring or tiresome for them. May we not have to look at our watch or our mind wander off somewhere because we're distracted. But may we be one. Make us one in your word. And let your grace abound to us like it does every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. My thanks to you for giving over 340-something boxes to Samaritan's First Operation Christmas Child. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. We made an appeal to you and joined with the thousands of churches around America to supply a gift for children who otherwise would not have one, not only here but different parts of the world. We have about maybe three or four names left on our angel tree uh, that is there in the atrium angel tree ministry having to do with supplying gifts to children whose parents are incarcerated. And we have a few names left if you'd like one of those. This book of Jonah is rather rich in the demonstration of the grace of God. But it's rather rich towards a person who should be a giver of grace. The preacher. Give me a witness, somebody. A preacher of grace, a distributor of grace, who when you look at his life and his story, he wasn't very gracious. Matter of fact, I'm just going to cut right to the core here. And I'll tell you that Jonah was hard-hearted, unloving, and bordered on being, if not a racist. That may be offensive if you just look at it on the surface, but if you read the four chapters of this book, that won't take you more than 15 minutes to do it. And if you look at the facts of the book of Jonah, you'll find that even though sometimes the heart of Jonah is portrayed as a man who was reluctant to follow God and his call on his life, 
you'll discover that later on he changes his mind and is used of God. And it may appear that he becomes the hero of the story. But if you really look into the scripture, we'll find a much different picture. Jonah was not the hero of the story. God was. Jonah was, in reality, the villain. Given the facts about Jonah's attitude, we might wonder why God would even use him for such a mission. God calls Jonah from his ministry in Jerusalem to the king of Israel from a high and lofty place in the clergy, from what would be a comfortable lifestyle, to preach to a city whose population would be over 120,000 people, who in our text, the Bible says, their sin was so pronounced and so real until it became a foul smell in the nose of God. If somebody tells you sin stinks, it does. And God, in effect, was saying to the man of God, Jonah, there's a city because of their sin, their rebellion, their disobedience, their blatant demonstration of manifesting desires of their flesh that's against the will of God. I could wipe them out. I could, at the snap of the finger, the blink of my eyes, make them a husband. And they would have deserved it. But I'm going to give them another chance because that's what grace has done for all of us. Another chance. The story about Jonah and Nineveh is a story of not just you can run, but you can't hide. But it's about God being a God of a second chance. And if it wasn't for a second chance and God's grace in my life or a third or fourth or fifth chance, I could have been a has-been. Go ahead and praise God if you're glad for grace. Come on, if you're glad for grace. What you find here is that Jonah, because Jonah is called by God and he decides immediately, I'm not going to Nineveh, which is over there. I'm going to Tarshish, which is over here. Okay, so you know your geography, and I didn't get time to prepare your map, but the geography of Jerusalem, of course, would be in the Middle East and what we know today as Israel. And not maybe, maybe less than maybe 300 miles from Jerusalem would be the city of Nineveh. It's ought to be... In, if you look at the map, it'd be in the east. Then Tarshish, however, where Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. If I'm going somewhere, I'm going to Tarshish. It's in Spain. You have to cross the Mediterranean. You have to travel long and far. And I'm going to Tarshish. And what I've come to understand is that when Jonah made up his mind to disobey God... God could have said, that's it for you. I'll choose somebody else to deliver my message. There's certainly more to this story than a casual reading and render. One of the things that I would have you observe about the story of Jonah and the grace of God is that Jonah was a man of contradictions. Observe contradiction number one. He was a man filled with hate, preaching God's love. It's all like an oxymoron, isn't it? It's all like you discipline your two-year-old child, your three- or four-year-old child, and you say something like, this going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, 
and you get the belt out or you get a, 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 a little rod out to do some correction. And that two-year-old's thinking while he puts his hand on his behind, how's that working? <laughs> Gonna hurt you? <laughs> a mind filled with hate preaching God's love. And so it begs the question, why was he filled with so much hate? Jonah told God exactly why he was angry when God confronted him with his anger about being gracious to Nineveh. You know, here's, here's the story of Jonah. Whenever we run from God, it always takes us down, 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 down. Yeah. Running from God takes you down geographically, physically, spiritually, emotionally, morally. Give me a witness, somebody. Look, look, look at your scripture, if you will, please. In, in verse number two, he says, uh, verse number three, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa to, catch, to get a ship going to Tarshish. Look, look, keep looking. Verse 3. And he found a ship going to Tarsha, so he paid the fare and went what? Down into it. So, he's running from God. Like many of us have done in the past when God says, I want you to be a witness, or I want you to share your faith, or I want you to love, or I want you to forgive, or I want you to stay in this marriage, or I want you to help some, uh, I want you to go get help for your addiction. Anybody helping hearing me? Or I want you to go to church, or I want you to read the Bible, or I want you to have a personal study, or I want you to have some accountability partners so you don't keep going back into the old lifestyle. Can I get a witness here? God say, I'm calling you, but the flesh says, no, I'm my own. I don't have a problem. Everybody else is the problem and since I've been doing this for a while I just think I'll make my own choice and keep going down and down and down and the Bible says so he went to Joppa he paid the fare went into the ship and and started sailing look look at verse number five well verse number four please but the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up then the Mariners or mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was on the ship in the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone, what? Had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and lay down and fell fast asleep. It's amazing how the devil will help us to go to large extents to disobey in God. He goes down to Joppa. He goes on the ship and goes down in the belly of the ship to go to sleep. God sends a storm and says, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm not finished with you. Because I've called you to do a work and I'm going to show you grace while you preach grace. And so the, 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 the people who are sailing the ship and the, 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 all the people in, in charge of making sure they arrive at the next port safely, the storm is so violent, they start throwing over cargo and tackle and ship gear just in order to stay alive. And they start praying and, and they go find everybody on board the ship and they find out that Jonah has gone down into the lowest part of the ship. Well, the story goes on that they say to Jonah, man, what in the world's wrong with you? That's the Alan Matura version. <laughs> you sleeping? And the rest of us 
fighting the storm. Don't you hear the thunder? Don't you see the lightning? Don't you see the waves clashing against the ship? Don't you know that the waves and the sails are torn? And we've already thrown over everything but the groceries. We're about to die and you are asleep. That's what sin does. Makes you oblivious at times to the danger you're in. Disobedience. Running from grace. He said the only way that this thing is going to change for you guys. Jonah says, and most of you know the story, so I need to hurry. You got to throw me overboard. Wait just a minute here. I know you went down there sleeping, but you must have had a nightmare. We don't throw people overboard. Our mission is to get people safe. And since you're a paying passenger... But, but he said, no, you've got to throw me overboard. And so they, they, they did what they necessary, and they figured, hey, it's better one of him than 60 of us. Yeah, come on, don't act like you're some pious somebody. We've all made some of the same. <laughs> they threw him overboard. It, it, because I'm talking about the grace of God now. Immediately upon throwing him overboard... The, the waves calmed down, the wind ceased, the lightning quipped ripping across the sky, the thunder quipped roaring, and it was like a, almost like a placid lake. He's overboard, and God sends... Look, look at verse number 17. Are you, are you there? Verse chapter 1, 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Look, this man hadn't finished going down. Y'all ain't hearing me now. How low can you get than the belly of a large fish in the belly of the earth? And you know what God is allowing some people to do? And you know some of them. And I know some of them. And a few maybe right here. He'll just let you keep going down, down. All the time, trying to give you grace. He'll send a storm. He'll send a, he'll send a fish. All the time. Because you can run, but you can't. He's in the belly of a fish. Now let me say this to you. It's grace that that fish don't put some tartar sauce on that man and finish him off. I mean, the man don't just put tartar sauce on the fish. Let, three days. You know in that, in that belly of a fish, there's acid. There's all kind of digestive substance. The Bible says, he, listen, he started praying. What will you do? I'm praying, oh God, don't let this fish swallow hard. He got seaweeds wrapped around his head. God's going to find a place where you're willing to pray if you ain't willing to find that place yourself. If I'm going to do any praying, I've been deep sea fishing one time in my life. One time in my life. Everybody say one. I drove with Brother Doris Adams right here when I first came to this church two years after I came here in 1987. We drove all night. I went to a funeral home in L.A.J. to visit with one of the families of our church whose father died. And he picked me up at my house and we, we drove all night. The other guys that drove that afternoon down to Charleston in that area. All night he's driving and, and we're going down there in the morning. I go, I never have, I lived around the sea all my boyhood. I'm from the islands. I'm from Trinidad, but never went deep sea fishing. I went deep sea fishing with the guys that day. These were Christian brothers before we went. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I took the Dramamine. I put the thing behind my ear. I like to die. 
I, oh, Brother Doris, you're my witness. You were there, right? I'm telling you. The up and down. All, and, and, and somebody, I noticed the guys, when we got nearer to a fishing spot, they're most of them were the back of the boat. And I got to figure out later why. Because of the front of the boat and the waves, you go higher and deeper. The back, you don't feel it as much. I am never going back deep sea fishing if you promise me the fish that swallowed Jonah. And I heard that from Brother James Powell. He, he used to be in the Navy. He ain't going back either. I, I prayed that day. I put ice on my head, ice on my body. I brought up everything that could be brought up. And I know you're headed to luncheon a little bit. There's some time when you don't want to pray. It's just the best thing to do. God help me to get past this introduction. Grace. It's, a, it's gracious that the fish didn't make him a, a meal. But just in time before his whole body discolored from the acid in the fish stomach, just in time before he lost all his hair because of the acid in the fish stomach, just in time before his body began to decay, God caused that fish to bring him up on dry land. You run, but you can't hunt. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites because they were arch enemies of Israel. He despised them. Historians tell us it was quite likely that, of course, Nineveh was sort of the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Ninevites were notorious for being violent in their destruction and creative in their punishment and horrific in their terrorism. It is said by some historians and scholars that it's quite likely that the Assyrians and Ninevites laid siege on the town known as Gath-Hepha, Jonah's hometown. Historians tell us this. Perhaps the city was destroyed by the Ninevites and the Assyrians, and many of the inhabitants were slain, Jonah's hometown. Perhaps some of the loved ones of Jonah's family may have suffered and been killed at that time. And there are even those who say that there's a possibility that Jonah's own mother and father were slain before his eyes when he was a boy. By the Ninevites. So he despised them. And why was he so filled with hate? Was it because he saw himself above or better than these people? Well, maybe, you know, when we compare, and I said this before and I need to hurry. When we compare ourselves with other people, we can usually find three or four or five other people that we're doing better than and we can think we are better than they are. But when it comes to sin, the common ground... It's sin. And so none of us, none of us are a better sinner than somebody else. Can, can you all help me here? You say you're a better sinner. Does it mean that you hide it better? Oh, God. It's offering Sunday. Next Sunday, I better be careful here. I could... Let me tell you something about when you see a brother or sister fall into sin. And I'm learning about grace. There's several things about when you see a brother and sister fall into sin that you and I have to be very gracious about when we go to analyze why. I believe it's F.B. Meyer, a noted preacher of yesteryear, who put it this way. 
there's several things that, that, that might be happening if somebody falls into sin, including Jonah. First, we do not know how hard he or she may try not to sin. Can, can I get an amen? I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you that after you're saved, even after you're saved, you can try as hard as you can not to sin. But there's a knowing that sometimes catches you in an unguarded moment. And it's enough knowing for you to go chasing after satisfying it. And there you are. As, as hard as you try to cut off the TV. As hard as you try to, to, to take a detour and not go by that joint. Or that hang out with the other guys. Come on, help me here. As hard as you, as you were trying your best not to say that word or use that language. Or zip that or shoot that up. Help me here. So before we go casting people overboard in the sea, we need to understand that. They may have tried not to sin. Here's something else we need to look at when we go thinking about grace. We do not know the power or the forces that assailed the person who sinned. How many know that it's the devil's business to help you to disobey? Yeah. And there's some people in your life the devil is glad to use to help you disobey. What will it hurt this one time? They'll say, nobody else will know. We'll only do it this once. Help me preach here, somebody. The devil has demons and demonic angels. He's been a devil a long time before you and I. But thank God for the power of God that gives us power over the world and the flesh and the devil. And even though the devil has help, greater is God who is in us and the devil who's around us. God will always make a way of escape for us if we are willing to take God's way of escape. Help me praise Him for that. Yes. Let me tell you something else. We do not know what we would have done in the same circumstance. I'm talking about Jonah. God's asked me to apologize to some people in the past where I said, no, no, I don't think you mean that. Y'all helping me here? God's asked me to get my act together because I've not dispensed grace but hate. And I've had to come back and apologize. Boy, I'm telling you, that's why I've lost my hair. I didn't want to do it so bad. I started going, I'm coming to understand that when temptation and vice and sin comes my way, I'm beginning to understand how difficult it is for an addict to stay dry or an alcoholic to stay dry or somebody involved in pornography to keep from pushing that button. Can I, can I, can I get an amen here? Or somebody cussing or lying or don't. We, we all know human nature, okay? So before I go casting some kind of stigma against Joan, I'm thinking, bless God, he's running from God. I'm here to confess that there are times when God told me to do something and I ran to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. But thank God for his grace. Pulling me back. He sent a storm. He sent a fish. He sent a prayer. He sent a mother. He sent a father. He sent a Christian. Grace. Grace. I can run, but thank God he won't let me hide. Help me praise the Lord. So you have to ask yourself, why was this man preaching? Full of hate? Preaching love? Because preachers and Christians need the gospel they preach to apply to their life first. Mamas and daddies raising kids. Come on, help me here, somebody. And so the Bible says in, in the second chapter, how out of the belly of the fish he prayed. And, and God, look at verse 10, chapter 2, please. So the Lord spoke to the fish. 
<laughs> I'm a little, I just got this revelation while I laughed. Sometimes he can't get to us, so he'll speak to a fish. Sometimes he can't get to us, so he'll speak to a jackass. Oh, here's a shock. I'm going to get an email. I'm going to get an email. Send it on. Send it on. I need grace. Oh, God. Don't tell Valerie I said that and we'll be fine. I meant to say he spoke to a donkey. Did he? And aren't there relatives to the... Okay. Oh, God. I need to keep preaching grace. Spoke to a fish. The donkey spoke to the prophet. Don't go looking at me like, yeah. Did the donkey not speak to the man of God? <laughs> so since I already made a donkey of myself, let me keep speaking. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. Are you there? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What? Second time. Second. Grace. Grace. He, look, look at this on the screen. He was a man seeking judgment for Nineveh, preaching God's mercy. That's kind of hard to reason. Look at this. Why did the repentance of the Ninevites bother him? Listen. When he went and preached, God anointed him. Now, he was three days in the belly of a fish and prayed through. The fish vomited him out on dry land. He travels to Nineveh. He figures, I can run. I can't hide. The fish could have made me fish food, but I'm alive. I think I, I, think I got the message. Can I get a witness? Look at, look at verse number 3. Chapter 3, are you there? So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city for the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Because of the largeness of the city and the geographical layout of the city, and because it had 120,000 citizens at least, it would take three days for one to visit the entire city. And being the preacher that God had called him to be, and he didn't have a PA system, and didn't have any internet, and didn't have a, 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 you know, all this kind of technology that we have now, and just had his voice, he just traveled for three days. and be, Forty days from now, he says, forty days, you all are history. And he's thinking, can't wait. Yeah, he said, man preaching mercy, can't wait. Well, you know what? The whole city. Look, look, look. look. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Putting on sackcloth represented a posture of remorse. Verse 6. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, saying... Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Look at verse 9. I love this part. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not? Perish. Are you glad that he did that for you and me? Look, look, look at verse 10. 
Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Have you ever tried to talk yourself out of a ticket from the cop? If you want an opportunity, Brother Eddie is a, a police officer, I'll have him check. Amen. And boy, you're glad the cop changed his mind. Have you ever stood before a judge knowing you're guilty? Because the first sermon I preached in this series, I spoke about being caught in the act. And you know you deserve the penalty. But the judge said, instead of sending you to jail for 30 days, here's what I'll have you do. And it was a lot less than you deserved. Jonah preached. The anointing fell. Conviction gripped their hearts. And the people's repentance was genuine and extreme. They got convicted in the king all the way from the palace to the poorhouse and every house in between of the 120,000 sinners in Ninevite. Or Nineveh. They took off their regular go to party clothes, go to prom clothes, go to the ball clothes, go to the mall clothes. You know, we got all kind of clothes. Even some GQ clothes. That was a different one for me. I, I, I tell you, if I tell you what the label on this is, it's not anywhere close to Mundo. Who ever heard of Mundo? That means world. Anyhow, let's move on. Oh, God help me. Everybody put on sackcloth. You ever saw a burlap bag? You saw a bag that carry, that they carry flour in, that carry sugar in? You know what I'm talking about? Just, just regular bag. They, they dressed in that saying, oh, God, it ain't about us. It's, it's about me. I, I don't mean any, any, any hidden agenda here. But even our clothes should represent our repentance. You, 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 you follow what I'm saying? The king says, not only that, this preacher has come, God speaking. We got 39 days, 38 now, 37, and we are it. Judgment's coming. Don't eat, don't drink, don't do any celebration. I just read it in your hearing. Don't eat, don't drink water, don't let your animals, put, put sackcloth on your animals. Let us turn for, and who knows, and that God will see our hearts. You know where God will look on us and give you grace? Is when your repentance is genuine and your repentance is extreme. Did you hear what I said? When you say, God, go into the closet of my life, go into the closet of my house, go in my car, go under the bed, go in my mind, go wherever I got stuff. That I think just me alone know about it. Come on and say amen. God, I don't want you to just clean out my Sunday good looking, uh, good looking good appearance. I want you to clean me up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I want you to clean up my marriage. I want you to clean up my language. I want you to clean up my eyes, what I look at, my ears. I, I want my repentance because you would, because of your grace, I should have been dead. I'm going to be genuine and I'm going to be extreme. And that's where grace finds us. Why was Jonah opposed to the mercy of God? Look, look at verse chapter 4, please. Chapter 4, are you there? God changes his mind in chapter 3, verse 10. But verse 1 of chapter 4 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Look at verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, 
Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you were a gracious, and you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Look at verse 3. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I think if God will help me for next Sunday, I'll preach on this subject. Are you a grace giver? The very reason he went to Nineveh, God spared his life from the fish, sent a storm, sent a fish, Sent another word, brought him on land. Revival broke out. A hundred and twenty thousand people got saved. This man ought to be shouting, Whoop, glory. Wait till I send in my ministerial report this month. Hundred and twenty thousand converts. He's mad. Isn't that what it says? I told you you're going to save them. You know you ain't got grace when you get mad at somebody else getting grace. Oh, I'm preaching now. See what happens around the Christmas tree this Christmas. You better watch out. You better not. See if that gift costs a little bit more than the one she gave. Those ones. Oh, See how your heart feels when the mother-in-law and father-in-law and grandma and grandpa. (laughs) You know we need help. But grace, if God answers our prayers to bless somebody else and it makes us mad. I thank you. You know what? He said, God, go ahead and kill me. There's grace. You better not be praying unless you mean business. Because he might just go ahead and make you a has-been. Look, look at me, hear me just a minute, okay? I don't remember one time asking God to kill me. Because I figured <laughs> he might just take me up on it. And since I'm saying about me, let me say this to you. I, I'm glad he didn't answer some other people's prayer about killing me either. Go ahead and say amen. Might well say amen. Somebody pray that you die. Can't get your money while you're alive. Might as well like get it. Oh, okay, okay. You know what happens? He gets so angry with God for being merciful. He goes outside the city. Look at verse 5, chapter 4. I'm, I'm hurrying. So Jonah went outside the city, sat at the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it, the shade of the shelter, till he might see what would become of the cities, thinking God save them, but he may still kill a few of them. I'll wait and see. Look at verse 6. And the Lord prepared a plant, and it made, it was a cover over Jonah. It was a hot, hot day, and God prepared a plant that it might shade him on his head to deliver him from the misery of the heat of the sun. And verse 6, the last part says, Jonah was very grateful for the plant that God sent. While he went outside, praying more judgment would come, even though the people repented, God might still kill a few. He didn't have any covering. God grew a plant in one, less than a day. God grew a plant. It was so, the leaves were so big and the plant was so uh, shade providing it, it made Jonah feel relaxed and comfortable and he was happy for the plant. The next day, God sent a worm 
It's right in the verse. The next morning, God sent a worm and killed the plant. The shade went. The sun came out today. And Jonah got mad. Got angry. Told God to kill him. And God said, listen here, Mr. Jonah. Prophet Jonah. Because he turned out to be a failure even in his success. Even though he had a successful revival, he turned out to be a failure because the old carnal grace... Uh, binding spirit was in him. He, he was more mad at God for taking, killing the plant that gave him shade than he was glad at God for saving 120,000 people. God said, look, you care more about a plant for your shade and a worm to kill your plant. And there's 120,000 men, women, boys, and girls in that city who, who God said, if you're still there, please, verse number 11... Should I not have pity over Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, even their livestock? Their souls at stake, 120,000 of them. Men, women, boys and girls that would burn and torment in hell forever. I gave the plant, I gave the worm, I can give you another plant, I could, I could, I could keep the worm from destroying it, I take care of all of that. And sometimes because of our gracelessness and mine also, Mr. Forrest for the trees. Throw the baby out with the bathwater. You follow what I'm saying? The bottom line being, if I expect it, I better give it. If I expect forgiveness, I better give it. If I expect grace, I better give it. If I preach it, I better live it. I cannot expect anything from God that I don't anticipate using for the glory of God. I will close with this. One of the most known Christian writers and one of my favorite is that of the person of Max Lucado. Some years ago he wrote a book entitled a book about Christ entitled No Wonder They Called Him the Savior. And I'll close with this account that he gave which speaks about love and grace. And since I'm not as articulate in remembering it, I'll, I'll try to read it to you. Max Licardo tells this story. He says, longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove... Christina dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, her mother whose name was Maria, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, Maria, the mother of Christina, Christina who ran away to the big city, on her way to the bus stop, the mother entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, spent all that she could on pictures of herself. With a purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew her daughter was too stubborn to give up. 
when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable that they might do. Pride meets hunger. Knowing this, Maria began her search for her daughter Christina. She searched at bars, hotels, nightclubs, and any place with the reputation for streetwalkers and prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place, Maria left her picture taped to something or tacked to something. Taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. Wasn't too long before both money and pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later when young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet in her small village. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As Christina reached the bottom of the hotel stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again. And there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back of the picture was this compelling invitation. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Bow your heads. Won't you? Won't you come home today? Has bowed and eyes closed. Won't you quit running this morning? It's likely you're visiting with somebody today and you don't even live in this town. This town, your town, or somebody else's town. You can run, but you can't hide. And the Lord says, if you'll make your repentance genuine and extreme, I'll make my grace immeasurable. Pray in your spirits, Christians, and pray in your heart, moms and dads. You may have a prodigal son or daughter. They may not be in this house, but you're praying today. They'll find themselves in a house of God or with somebody who will lead them back home. And so I'll invite you. Pastor Matura, I'm coming home today. I deserve to be dead. If God judged me on what I deserved, I don't even deserve Him to look at me. But I'm going to accept His invitation of grace. I want Him as my Savior.
Every head bowed and eye closed. I need him as my Savior. Raise your hand if that was you. Hold it up for a moment. Hold it up. Thank you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you I won't embarrass you. You know, That's all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hands and then the others will do together. Hold it up just a moment while you have it up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? It's free. If you, you may put it down. It's free. Those of you that already raised your hands, I'm not talking to you now. I'm talking to somebody else. The video is being played right now or being recorded right now. If we need it for further reference in heaven where God would say to you that day you stand before him. But here's the video. I give you another chance. But you didn't take it. We're living in the age of grace right now. Jesus is coming soon. All of this is going to be over. We don't know the day or the hour. And I'm not asking you to vote on it. And I'm not voting on it. It's not up to us to vote about it. It's just for us to believe and accept and know that if we're ready, we'll have eternal life. So, if you didn't raise your hand a moment ago, would you do it now? Everybody repeat this prayer after me. Everybody out loud repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for finding me. I confess, I've been a runner. I've tried to hide. But you kept searching for me. Sending somebody to search for me. And I'm grateful that I've been found. And now, I confess, I cannot save myself. I've been a sinner. But I'm grateful for your grace. Cleanse me of all my sins. Forgive me of every sin. The ones that can be seen and the ones that are invisible. The ones I did willfully and the ones I did not knowing better. Today, Jesus... I confess, you as my Savior, come into my heart, come into my life, leave no area of my life vacant. I receive you as my Lord. Amen. Stand up, everybody, and after you stood up, put your hands together. Come praise team. Everybody, after you stand up, put your hands together. Give the Lord some praise. Come on. Start singing, brother. Come on. We're going to sing with you. Come on, everybody. Help me praise God for grace. Come on, praise Him. Now lift your hands with me and thank Him. Sing with Him.